Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week from a person that said, Hey, Carol, I don't understand why we can't have more of you on the show. I mean, come on, once a week just isn't enough. And I said, Carl, thank you so much. It means a lot to me to hear that my listeners really care about this show. And boy, do we have a show today. I got to tell you, I won't go into the details of how I met this woman, but this woman identified herself as being conceived out of an affair. An affair with a man that had sexual addiction and she said, what kind of research has been done about this? What, what do you know about this? And I said to this woman, wow, I, I can't imagine what this has been like for you to have been conceived under those circumstances, and we have no research. I said, but maybe we could get research if we could get people to talk about it. But it's not the kind of thing that most people want to talk about. And so this woman was brave enough to come on the show and say, I will talk about it. She contacted me and said, where do we start and when can I be on the show? And at first she was going to be anonymous. But then she decided that this could help somebody else out, that she would be more than happy to um, expose herself, so to speak, so that she could get help. Um, and, the, and give help in the best way that she can. And so we are so thankful for her to be coming on the show. You know, this is live, um, and this is the first time it's ever been recorded on Zoom. 
Now, she may say, oh, I don't want this to be recorded on Zoom, then I won't record it, because I didn't tell her. <laughs> but I was able to get it on, and she just really wants to help. So she's willing to do this podcast. That's good enough. And if she wants me to put this on YouTube, I will. If not, I won't. But I just want to say, wow, Carly, you are such a brave woman. I mean, you are a believer, and you're only as sick as your secrets, and you're not keeping secrets, are you? I'm trying not to. <laughs> well, do, do you want to share with the group uh, how we met? Um, because I feel like you are just the most beautiful example of post-traumatic growth. Yeah. Thank you, Carol. Um, so we met at the access training only two weeks ago, and um, the topic of discussion came up quite um uh, by Tom mm-hmm. when I had asked a question and and I had asked a question about children from uh, that were born as a result of sex addiction and um, uh, I think there was some surprise that I was like oh I'm one mm-hmm. um, and so that's how we met and yeah. yeah you know Carly just asked the question and I was telling our listening audience before you came on that you wanted to know what information was out there for this kind of thing? And, and what did I know in terms of research? And I basically said, I know nothing. This has not been something that has been spoken of. And I said, you're, I go, why? Tell me a little bit about, I was thinking she was a professional, so she may have a case that she wanted to discuss or something. And that's when she said to me, well, I am the product of, um, someone who had sexual addiction. And so we were all taken aback because she was so bold and she was so honest. And so, of course, Carly, I want to ask you, can you give me a little bit of background and just share with our listening audience, how did it happen? How did you, how did it happen? Yeah. How did you find out? Yeah. So uh, I was born in 1991 in South Africa, and that's where the accent comes from. And um, my mom was 34 at the time. She was working at a big, um, okay, so my my mom and my dad had a relationship. My dad had been married. My mom was newly divorced or on the brink of divorce. That's that's a bit foggy, like Mm -hmm. a lot of things. But um, during this time, uh, within the sexual addiction, there was a relationship with another woman while my dad was married and to another woman. And um, my mom was 36, working in a corporate company. My dad was a plumber. He was 24. There's a 10-year difference. Um, And the relationship had had extended for two years until I was conceived. Um, Yeah, so that was around, that was, basically the context and the, the age and kind of what they were, their professions and so, yeah. And then what was your second thing you had said, how it had unraveled? Yeah, how did it unravel? Yeah. So actually, um, so my birth was, was what brought everything out. Um, my stepmom and my dad, um, they their marriage stayed intact throughout the whole thing 
But my stepmom didn't actually meet me or know about me until I was nine months old. And so it was really, um, I think some of my dad's family had known. Um, no, I actually know that they knew. And mm-hmm. it was just the ticking time bomb. When is my stepmom going to find out? When when are we going to tell this secret? And so and Carla, it kind of all, yes. Can I just say for our listening audience, it sounds like you're saying that your your mother got together with this man who was married, and that he was married to who you are referring to as your stepmom, and yes. she didn't know, but your no. dad was told by your mother that she was pregnant, and your and, so, and your mother had no reason to believe that it was anybody else's child. That is the same question that the family asked. So that was the, so yeah. So she had no other relationship. Her previous, she had been married and newly divorced or on the brink of divorce. And so there was this question. She was on the rebound. Did she sleep with anybody else? And but there, it was in her mind that at, when I was born, nine months. Prior to that, that my dad was the only man. So, okay, and yeah, and so that that is one of those questions that I would think that people would ask, and they might even insist on a DNA test or something like that. But that didn't happen for you. There was no. It did. Oh, it did. Got it. Well, they never they never got to it, but um, my my father's family did try to get a paternity test. Um, my mom didn't want anything to do with it um, because, of, I mean, for her, it's humiliating. Of course, you know that why would somebody question that? And so, and then of course, my stepmom is is part of an attempt to find more treats and more an attempt to just making sense of this this child that that just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, I'm thinking about it from your stepmother's point of view. I mean, obviously, her husband had betrayed her. Your your dad had betrayed her. And so she's already angry about the betrayal, but she doesn't find out about the betrayal until she finds out about you, right? That you were exactly that your mother was pregnant with allegedly your father's <laughs> child. Yes. yes. Okay. And you know, I, I just want to share with our listening audience I mean, how brave Carly is to even talk about this, but we look at trauma. We look at, I'm sure your mother was traumatized because now all of a sudden this relationship got very complicated very quickly. Yeah. And then it was traumatic for your stepmother because she was betrayed. There was infidelity. I would assume it was traumatic for your father because now he was caught in the crossfire of his own behaviors, right? Yeah. And last but not least, what we know is that trauma can start in utero. So I, yeah. I, uh, one of the things I noticed about Carly, because I got to work mm-hmm. with her for three out of the four training days, is that she has this beautiful smile, as you can see. Mm-hmm. She is effervescent and glowing and I'm sure there are things that make her sad and depressed and angry. However, I said you're the epitome of post-traumatic growth because you appear 
to really yeah. have come into your own truth and strength. But I do want to say you had some trauma early on. Absolutely, Carol. And and to add a, a, a complex trauma on multiple ways. Mm-hmm. In terms of my my stepmom, not there was no reason for her to believe that my dad would have had a relationship outside of the marriage because uh, they were very. They are my dad recently passed away, but they were very. Um, uh, religious. They had gone to Bible school. My dad was um, the worship leader. He was he was like this incredible young man. Um, and so uh, there was no reason to think that that he would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was why would she think that? She she just thought uh, he was working really hard. Uh, they were newlyweds. Uh, he had to work hard. They didn't have money. Um, she was a teacher. I actually don't even know if she was working yet, but she had no doubt or she had all faith in, in this, this man. And in terms of my dad, yes, there was trauma, but in terms of his, his behavior and, and forward-going behavior, a lot of it was feared by shame, which is textbook. Um, and that's been really good for me to understand is what shame, how how shame affects the person, um, and how how it reinforces the avoidance, cause trauma, and unhealed trauma can create more trauma. So that was something that wasn't clearly addressed until much later. And and can I just repeat for our listening audience? Carly said something very very wise. She said, unhealed trauma can cause more trauma. And so just remember that if you're listening to the show and you know you've had trauma, or as Carly said, since it started so early for her, complex post-traumatic trauma, um, that's why it's so important to go to somebody and to, to work on your own personal healing. And so I want you to be thinking about that as Carly shares her own story. So do you know where you were, or did I get you off track? <laughs> no, you're totally fine. I was just going, you were. You had mentioned all the, the key players and how trauma had affected them, and so the last one was my mother. So mm-hmm. I think what's important to understand is how childhood trauma create or, or encourage choices that they might have made. But then that doesn't allow somebody to um, in, a, in a hurtful way, or to, to ha- it doesn't allow or give permission for one woman to sleep with a married man that doesn't give permission. It just gives some sort of understanding, like that could give a, a, a justification, but I say that likely. Um, so my mom had come from trauma, and her actions created more trauma, and then not having this man created even more trauma, and so it was just. I don't. I think the trauma could have been stopped if if I wasn't born. But then it also, and then the healing of the the trauma also came much later because I was born. So either way, there was possibility for healing in, in some way. Mm-hmm. And so, did you ever feel like you carried that burden of being um, the bundle of trauma? In not only between your mother 
your father, your stepmother, but his whole family. Yeah, Felicity Carroll, that was the, that was the mark of my life. It, it was um, growing up. If there was a if there was a population of people that I could most identify with, it would be I felt like I was an orphan, mm-hmm. like I was unwanted, um, because I caused so much hurt. And so even up until recently, when my father passed, I think that's something that I still work through. Um, do I cause the, the hurt because the emotions are so big? And so when you're small, when you're little, you internalize that, and it, and that becomes your narrative. Wherever I go, I cause drama. Everywhere I go, uh, it's not a joyous thing because I come with my mother. Mm-hmm. And when I go back to my mom, I go with my dad. So there was always this back and forth. I had always known that it always felt like I was the burden in the family. And so then we add this extra layer because you said, I am a product of sex addiction. So somewhere, some way, somehow, you found out that your father was a sex addict. How did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So that was years later. when I was a teenager, it just came um, out of a conversation. Oh, here's some more context. Uh, there used to be a, a ministry called Living Waters, which dealt with, um, uh, like, if you had, like, impure sexual relationships and, and sex, like, creating sexual wholeness. Um, and so my dad and my stepmom were the directors of this um, years later. Um, and so talking about wounds and brokenness was very common in the family. Mm-hmm. As, as life went on, there was this revelation of, of healing. And um, I was a teenager, and it was just a conversation between my stepmom and myself. And then it, there was this, this uh, mention of... Um, massage parlors and then it was question after question and then things just came out and so I only fully made sense of everything when I was in college when it all the signs all the symptoms all the personality traits it just everything fell into place where it was it was the one missing piece that I had been looking for because it didn't it didn't, everything didn't shift in, especially understanding betrayed partners, trauma, standing my stepmom, who I'm very close with. Mm. It felt like there had to be more. There was just something that I needed to know. Mm-hmm. And so it was mentioned when I was in high school, but it came, became a full realization over a matter of 10 years. Okay. Let me remind our listening audience that we're talking with Carly, and Carly is the product of a sex addiction, and, and she is talking about the impact it had on both she, her mother, her father, her stepmother, and the family, and the fact that she felt like she was the burden because she um, represented conflict in the family. And so it reminded me 
when you talked about the fact that it didn't all fit together, not the way you needed it to, and it wasn't until college that you started putting the pieces together and checking off the boxes and saying to yourself, my father was involved with at least one other woman and massage parlors, and you probably had more information, and all of a sudden you questioned whether he was addicted, whether he was a sex addict, and when you put that together as sounds like partners because, you know, they need to put together the story to make sense of it. And you were putting yes. together the story. When you realized that he was probably a sex addict and was also ministering to groups about this problem, did you think, my father is a hypocrite? Or did you think, my father has learned from this and he is trying to help others? Or maybe you thought both. Yeah, so, so um, I think I think I, I didn't think he was a hypocrite in, in terms of, uh, of uh, hmm, that's a real good question. I think what bothered me was that um, there was a lot of encouragement for reflection and inner healing, but there was none done in the self. And so for for him, mm-hmm. um, and so when he became a minister, or, or when he became the director of, of that organisation um, in South Africa, he um, he had it had been a couple of years since. So what I have figured is that he hadn't acted out, but instead it, it just post, it just became another process addiction. So he had left behind the, the sex addiction. Was was wasn't living a um, how the twelve step program would call it white knuckling or just it was just he was just abstaining. Um, right, he was doing so it on his own, but he had no real support system to help him. Yeah, because the shame was keeping all that away. It was pushing it away, mm-hmm. um, and so. I don't think in terms of the sex addiction that I thought he was a hypocrite, but I thought in terms of of, of preaching and teaching me, it's ironic because the most helpful things that I had learned had come from my father because he understood the work, he understood um, the process of, of, of finding wholeness, but he never applied it to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's where I where I did question his character in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, and certainly I wasn't either. You know, one of the things as a certified sex addiction therapist, and certainly we met in APSATS, and one of the primary principles is that we don't shame sex addicts. We understand their struggles. Um, that's why I thought it could be post-traumatic growth. That you know, some men are in denial and they stay in denial by helping others and trying to forget their own past. But other yeah. men realize, I'm hurting here. I need the help. I don't know how to get it. There's too much shame. I'm going to help these people out there. I'm going to be their life preservers. And, yeah. and yeah. so that's why I asked that question. Now, yeah. sounds like you and your father have talked about the sex addiction. Is that true? No. <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, that is something, like I mentioned, my dad recently passed. But 
uh, that was a conversation that we probably could never have. There was a lot of conversations about, um, not even we didn't even talk about the thing. Um, I got my my biological mom is very, was very open. Growing up, she always there was nothing that she hid from me. Um, but then, of course, I would hear things from her, and then fact check it with my dad, and it would be shut down. It would just be nothing from from my dad, and so I would get some stuff from my stepmom, but I think it was just too much for him. Um, so there was a lot of healing in my dad's relationship and mine, and an incredible amount. It's almost miraculous, but never the sex addiction. We never touched the actual sex addiction. That was just you know, and also boundaries. Like, I don't know how to speak to my dad about things, you know, and the things that he has. Okay. So, and, yeah. And so now let me understand your family dynamics because yeah. did you then live with your mother until you went to school or did you live with your father? Yeah. So I lived with my biological um, mom for most of my childhood years until I was 16, and then I moved to my dad. Um, but that was only because my mom moved to another, we could call it a state in South Africa, and I had to move to my sister. At that point, I said, I'm not moving to my sister, I'm moving to my dad. Um, and so I grew up with my mom and not my dad. Got it. Well, you keep calling her your biological mother, which made me think there was some division. Um, you know, that's kind of what an adoptee calls my biological mother versus my adoptive mother, blah, blah, blah. So, and you did say you were very close to your stepmother. Yes, very much so. Yeah, so it's kind of a, an incredible redemptive story because I think I mentioned, I might have mentioned this earlier, my, my stepmom, was part of the reason why I was part of my dad's life. And so my my grandparents, my dad's parents were the one who initiated the relationship and said, no, she has to be part of the family. But my stepmom had never associated me with with a, I suppose she would have associated me with a say, but I had never felt blamed or shamed. Uh, for being out of that. She had always pursued me. Um, yeah, so we are very close in that sense. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious, when did you, you put the pieces together in college, did you ever begin to feel some healing from that trauma you talked about feeling most of your life? I did. Uh, I think that the healing actually came from, so part of my story is that I went into some substance abuse and a promiscuous lifestyle. And so when I found that out, it gave me so much understanding. But I don't think that that was the part that brought the healing. It was that I had almost do the same thing, go down the same path, and then find my own way out to find the healing. That makes yeah. sense. And that is, in and of itself, post-traumatic growth. Yes. And yes. so it's no accident that you just attended a training 
on sex addiction and partner sensitivity. You yes. wanted to come to Abscess and get that four-day training. Can you tell me why? Yeah. So um, I actually um, I feel like the, the sex addiction field found me. I wasn't looking for it uh-huh. um, until one of my professors um, told me all about attachment and everything, and then he later offered me a job, and then he sent me to the training, and so it was just like this one thing to the next thing to the next, and then from the training, I've had some people connect with me about wanting to do research and uh, that type of thing. So um, it is it, it's training for my future job, which oh, I'll man. probably start soon. Okay, and so you are compiling or wanting to compile research about children. I don't know that you would say that are born out of sex addiction, although that would be nice, but also just children of sex addiction and the families of sex addiction, right? Yeah, yes. So if if there are any participants that were born out of sex addiction, that would be a bonus. But I haven't found any. So it's like um, that's a, it's a hard population to find. And um, But uh, currently uh, I'm in the right in the beginning phases of working with a friend and developing a family model uh, for sex addiction. Mm. And so that's the type of thing that I, I'm interested in and looking for. And so anybody has any information on that, um, that would be really helpful. Okay. And, you know, we do have a call. But I've got to tell you, um, I've been on drive time before. I've been um, a radio host on regular radio, and I have a producer who takes the calls and screens the calls and makes sure they're appropriate for the show. And the worst thing about a podcast is that you don't always get a serious caller. You get somebody who just wants to make a joke about sex. And so I'm not going to take this call, but I have written down your number because I want to call you back after the show and um, see if there's any way that we can help you. Because we don't ever want to turn anybody away who may have a question or a comment for our guests. I just don't have the guts to take the call in case it's not serious. Now, Carly, you gave me an email um, and said that it was okay if people contacted you if they do have anecdotal stories or information or research about families that have been affected by sex addiction. Is that true? Yes, particularly children particularly children. She's got a soft spot for children because that's who she was and and what she went through. So you can contact Carly at Carly, C-A-R-L-E-Y, pool, P-O-O-L, at gmail.com if you want to get more information about her research project, if you think you have something that you might be able to contribute, we would love that because this is, as you all know, my listening audience has said it a hundred times, we are pioneers in this field and we're just getting started. So this would be wonderful. I believe when Carly was brave enough to come on the show, 
um, that she will actually begin to start the dialogue. So other than the research, are you hoping to use this story to help others? I think so, um, because I, I will be a, a licensed um, therapist, mm-hmm. and I and I think that in terms of that, definitely, um, to have a, a deep understanding of, of everybody that could be affected in this, and, and I think that's exactly what it is that I'm hoping to use this story for. Mm. Um, yeah. And to, to just, sorry, just to be an example, that there is so much hope and, and so much um, possibility for hope and healing. Mm-hmm. Well, you definitely are a beacon of hope. Um, I've just wrapped up a new book, and it's for couples on how to help each other heal. And it starts out with, I want to be your beacon of hope meaning for the couples. And you are certainly a beacon of hope for children and families and sex addiction. And, you know, the board is lit up. And I have never had so many people. I didn't give out a number, so I don't even know how they found the number, but it's really (laughs) lit up. So I am taking their numbers for sure. Um, Do you think your family has healed from all your relationships with them. Yes, uh, yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, I think there's. I think we can say we have normal family drama now. <laughs> so um, I think um, it's definitely not uh, the complex type of trauma um, problem um, anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I'm fully integrated. It's taken a very long time. Um, I did have, when my, my dad passed away, I did have a, a sudden thought, oh, I'm not part of the family, but it took five minutes to dissolve that thought. Mm-hmm. It was not a lingering thing. Um, my siblings are my siblings. My, I never say the word stepmom. She's my mom. I just used it for this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, so um, definitely integrated and, and have healthy relationships with all of them. Okay, so as we begin to end the show, is there anything that you want to share with our listening audience um, that comes from your heart and your experience, your hope, strength, and, and wisdom? Yeah. I think when something like this comes out, um, in the midst of it, as, as it just starts, the pain is unbearable. I I absolutely understand that. But I think having the shared value that the family needs to move either forward or I think that's something that's really important is big picture and shared value. And um, I know that in my family, the vision was always that I have to be part of the family. And that was the guiding force in our relationship. Um, that that is that that is the goal, and so I think even in the emotion, if there's that one thing that that the family can agree on, that is what floats you through the whole process. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You're a very wise woman. Um, sounds like you're in school. You're working on research. Um, what is your, what are your hopes and dreams for your life coming up? 
well. Um, uh, so this year was was a uh, involuntary sabbatical for me because I had recently gotten married and I had some visa things that I had to sort out. So I graduated in December and uh, last year, and um, I had done. I kid you not, about five courses uh, from EST to somatic therapy to everything. So I am so ready and so excited to be launching my career in January, working with sex, sex addiction, um, betrayed partners. And so that is where I'll be heading next year for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I do have, there. there's only room for five callers. I've got all five of their numbers except for one person called anonymously, so I cannot call them back, but I'm going to check in on them today. And I just want to thank you so much. It was, again, I said early on in the show, the recovery principle of you're only as sick as your secrets is meant Mm -hmm. to be able to clear you of your secrets so that you can live the life you deserve. And that's the foundation, obviously, of recovery. And for you, you have cleared um, the score for many people by being open and honest. Did you guys see that cat? I hope you watch this on YouTube. Um, And I just applaud your courage and your wisdom, and I look forward to hearing what you're going to be doing for many, many months to come, many years to come. Absolutely. Thanks for volunteering this, and I have a feeling we're going to be working together in some way, some some way to help others figure out how to heal from the trauma that can that can occur with sex addiction. So thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. You make it a good one. Bye. Bye. Okay, so I just continued Carly. And I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to see, um, I'm going to end the show. I'm going to call these people back. I may invite them to be on the show and ask their questions with Carly for the future once I've legitimized who they are and and why they're calling. And I knew this would be an interesting show because this is the first time I've ever heard of any sex addiction podcast where a child, well, that's not true. It's my second podcast where a child who became an adult child talked about what it was like to have sex addiction in his or her life. Now, with Carly, it's a little bit deeper because she was the product of sex addiction. So thank you, Carly. Thank you for our callers, and we'll talk with you next week. And remember, there'll only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one.